God is working, even in that situation you find yourself in that's very difficult. That's next on Abounding Grace. You see, unbelievers see chaos and craziness, but believers see the sovereignty of God. They see purpose. They have hope. There is purpose in your trial. God is going to work things together for good. If you know Jesus Christ, you could even say this is purposeful. My life is full of purpose. As painful and as hard and as difficult as it might be, I don't understand it. I don't understand why. I hate sin. I hate the ramifications of sin, but I love God and I submit my life to him as a faithful creator. And I live my life by faith. That's what faith is. Faith is believing the unseen, the things not yet revealed. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hi there, and glad you could make it today as we present Abounding Grace and the very last portion in Ed Taylor's series, Help for the Troubled Heart. We've learned thus far that yes, there are some things we don't understand and can't explain, and yet God has allowed them and is using them in our lives. Maybe you say, God is working even in that. Yes. Let's see how as we head over to Romans 8.28. Pastor Ed breaks it down for us. First, number one, we know. Number two, all things. Number three, work together. Work together. Like the recipe we looked at last time. Our end goal is a nice lemon cake. That's the end goal. But along the way, we have to have the ingredients. Each ingredient is needed in the right amounts, mixed in the right way, with the right amount of heat and time, And God works together all the ingredients that the sum is greater than all of them individually. And it's just not possible for most of the ingredients to be enjoyed. I hope none of you did this to your kids. I didn't get any emails and no kids tattled on you, so I don't think anybody did. But for dessert, one of your dinners this last week, you said, okay, kids, I was in a Bible study and I want to give you dessert. Here's a cup of flour. Enjoy. You know, that kid's going to be so upset, probably going to throw it, then get in trouble, and the whole house is crazy, and now it's Ed's fault. It's not Ed's fault, because we don't give kids flour, because it's nasty, and it's disgusting by itself, tasteless, dry. And if, and if, it's, not, if it's not flour, then go ahead and take the six eggs and separate them, whites and yolks, and drink them and enjoy them, and that's just nasty. Hardly anybody does that. Just a few people at the gym. That's it. And I don't even understand why. You can get protein and peanut butter if you want it, you know? Do it something that's tasty. And then there's the cream of tartar. Nastiness. Bitter. So I was up early this morning. I was working out up early, and I had, I had the food channel on. Why? I don't like the food channel, but like that was on this morning. And they were making this huge gingerbread house down at the Great Wolf Lodge. I think the one in Colorado Springs. I'm not sure. Huge one, life-size. 
And so they got the guy in the kitchen, and they're showing you all the ingredients and all the gingerbread that's needed and the bricks. And, and then he makes this white substance. It's the substance that's going to hold it all together. And so he pours this in, and he pours that in. And I actually didn't hear all the ingredients until he got to this big container that he called cream of tartar. So I'm going to write a letter and say, you were, you're pronouncing it incorrectly. Later, I'll email him. It's cream of tartar is what it is. And it was about this much he was pouring into the big thing. And this is what he said. He said, yeah, you put it in because it helps to make this, uh, this icing like cement. Imagine that. When you make a cake, you're putting cement in your stomach. <laughs> and I hope you don't eat that all by yourself because who knows what that would come. You just took the container. But it's needed if you want to get the cake. It's needed if you want to build the gingerbread house. It's needed. You don't want it on its own, but mixed together with the sugar and with the lemon peel and with the eggs and the flour and everything else. Well, isn't that like life? God is working together the ingredients of your life that some of them by their own and on their own are just plain nasty and disgusting and not pleasurable. God takes the good and he takes the bad and everything that even we would consider neutral in our lives and works them together for the good. Mixed up, sometimes it feels like life, like the beaters of life are just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And sometimes the heat's turned up in our lives. Yeah. But there's a finished product at the end. And if you want the lemon cake of life, you got to go through the process. And we know what the process is. God's making something far more delightful than lemon cake. He's conforming us into the very image of Jesus Christ. There is a transformation taking place in our lives through everything. They all work together. Yes, even that is being worked together by God. Notice number four. Number one, we know. Number two, all things. Number three, work together. Number four, for good. They work together for good. God has your highest good in mind if you want to, you can turn with me, but I'll read it to you in Jeremiah. If you want to turn back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. The children of Israel are captive under the rule of Babylon. They're paying the price for their sinful decisions, their idolatry, their, their lack of the true worship of God. They, they didn't give the land rest. They were greedy for money and idolatrous. And yet in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their difficulty, here's what God tells them, Je Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What's true for the nation of Israel in the old covenant is multiple, multiplied true for you in the new covenant. How much more, the Bible says, through the blood of Jesus Christ, does God care for you and love you and have thoughts towards you that are good and not evil to give you a future and a hope? That's what Paul says here. God's working all things together for what? Good. Even if you don't see it today, it's for good. He tells the children of Israel, I love you. Even in your time in Babylon, it's going to turn out for good. You're going to make it through. I'm going to use this in your life. It's for good. You're going to be better because of it. That's the word of the Lord to someone today. You're going to be better because of the trial in your life. For someone else, the word of the Lord is you're already better because of the trial that God allowed into your life. You're already better. You're already growing in the grace and the mercy 
and the love of you're a different person because of the difficulties you've endured through life maybe even starting as a very young child there's things in our lives we just can't choose and we have no control over where we were born to whom we were born where we would be educated our economic status and there's some things we just can't choose for ourselves and yet God uses them we can't choose the kind of stuff that's going to come into our lives we can't choose whether someone likes us or hates us. We can't choose whether someone's going to help us or hurt us. We can't choose whether someone's going to be loyal or betray us. Those things are outside of our control, but they're not outside of God's control. We're not just victims of circumstance. We're not victims at all. We are victors. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. And He is working out things in our lives and reminds us today that He loves us and that He cares for us that we are so thankful for his faithfulness. Number five, and finally, it says that we know that all things work together for good, notice, to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. This promise is not for everyone. This promise is not for everyone. It's only to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. It's only for those that have a relationship with the one true God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not just anybody can claim this promise. Not just anybody can say, well, you know, when tough times come, I'm going to get the Bible off the shelf finally. I'm going to go to my favorite verse and say, okay, it's okay. Everything's going to be work." No, no, this is only for those that love God. This is only for those that are called according to his purpose. Now, it is available to everyone that if today you would repent of your sins and submit your life to God, it could be that the very pain you're experiencing today is God getting your attention so that you will come to a place where you finally surrender your life, you will finally submit your life, and you will have the, the great exchange happen where it's His forgiveness for your sinfulness. It's His life for your death. It's His heaven for your hell by faith in Jesus Christ. But this isn't for everyone. You know, think of it this way. Some of you can think back to the days when you weren't following God. You know, for someone that we might consider an unbeliever, someone that's not connected to God. They watch the news. Uh, they experience life. They, they, all they can do is see randomness and chaos. There's just really no meaning to everything. You know, they might see some news story. Oh, oh uh, there's a declaration that Jerusalem is, is, is the official capital of Israel and immediately have political ramifications in an unbeliever's life. That statement wasn't political. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Jerusalem has been always the capital of Israel, not just 1948, but long before that. It's, oh, it's in the Bible. But an unbeliever, they go, oh, this is crazy. This is unbelievable. There's some kind of economic downturn. And automatically there's this sense, oh, I'm losing everything. But for the believer, it's not losing everything because we know life is more than money and the economy. But for someone that doesn't, isn't connected to God, it's just randomness and chaos and confusion. So what does a person do? Now, I know for some of you listening in right now, whether you're here or you're out on the radio, I'm going to speak directly to you, and it's going to be like an like x-ray of your heart. It's going to be an x-ray of your heart. Even though I don't know you, God knows you. And here's what happens. When you see the randomness and chaos in this world, you immediately try to take control. You try to take control. One way that you take control is you create a religion that gives you comfort. Like, you see randomness and chaos, you go, oh, it's just evolution. It'll get better. Really? Evolution? Evolution. You really believe that everything started with an explosion? That explosion brings order? Like an explosion? You, you really think that there you were in a blob of ooze 
that was created by who knows what, just some explosion, and then up popped an eyeball, and before you know it, that was you? That, do you really think that, that, that explosions create order and not chaos? And by the way, by the way, who created the explosion? Who created the elements to create this explosion? Like, where does it end? That just brings more confusion, doesn't it? Not less. It doesn't explain things. It doesn't explain the reality of the chaos in your life. That there was that explosion in your life, that family situation, that work situation. It just exposed like a bomb in your family. And what did it do? Did it create order? No, it created chaos. You see, you create a religion. It may not even be evolution. You could say, well, you know, I just believe that God, everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody's going to stand before God, even people that hate him. Everybody gets the same thing, even the people that reject God, even the people that mock God. Everybody gets the same thing. You begin to, you begin to create things where you take the sovereignty of God upon yourself and just, I'll control it. I'll control my own destiny. If you go through any business section of a bookstore or Amazon, you'll see there are so many books and it's even creeped into the church, you know, just control of your life, take control of your destiny, everything. You can control everything and you're reading it. And then some of you may even wake up in the morning and you have up on your, on your mirror, I am the captain of my ship, the controller of my destiny. Really? What happens when a big storm comes? I'm the captain of my ship. Okay, I get it. You're traveling along. You've got the ship of your life. You're, you're controlling it, and you're telling where to go, and you're driving the thing. What happens when a storm comes? I'm the captain of my ship, I said. Hey, what happens when a storm destroys your ship? What are you going to do, captain? Yeah, you need a captain outside of yourself, don't you? It doesn't make much sense to be the captain. You know, that, that philosophy sounds good when life's going the way you want it to go. What happens when it doesn't go the way you want it to go? What do you do then? What happens to the sovereignty of self when you realize you have no control over your life? None. Well, God introduced himself to us as the God who is sovereign, not the sovereignty of self, that he's the captain and that he works all things together for good that those that love him. It's a love relationship. Those that are called according to his purpose. You see, unbelievers see chaos and craziness, but believers see the sovereignty of God. They see purpose. They have hope. There is purpose in your trial. God is going to work things together for good. If you know Jesus Christ, you could even say, this is purposeful. My life is full of purpose. As painful and as hard and as difficult as it might be, I don't understand it. I don't understand why. I hate sin. I hate the ramifications of sin, but I love God and I submit my life to him as a faithful creator. And I live my life by faith. That's what faith is. Faith is believing the unseen, the things not yet revealed. Jacob learned this lesson. Jacob. We meet Jacob early on in the scriptures, but by the time we get to the end, remember we've looked closely at Joseph's life a couple times. From chapter 37 or so to 50, we've got Joseph's life. But you know who Joseph's dad is? Jacob. So what Joseph was going through, Jacob was going through. Different side of the coin. And Jacob learned this lesson well. He actually learned it the hard way. He learned that there was purpose in his trial, though. He learned it the hard, the hard way. 
He had to go the long way around. I don't know how many of you are one of those folks that need to learn things the hard way, but if you have to learn things the hard way, God will take you all the way down the road of hard and difficult. You don't, I would just say you don't always have to learn things the hard way, but we do too often. Anybody amen that? Because I'm one of those guys, unfortunately. I, I tend to learn things the hard way. But I have to say, once you learn it, it sticks. <laughs> it's like, okay, Lord, that's a good one. I should have just believed you on your word, but it, it is. So God is teaching us. So Jacob's that way. We find Jacob in a time of his life, around chapter 42 of Genesis, where he's reaping the harvest of his sinful mistakes of his younger years. So he's come to a place where his son Joseph is gone. His son Reuben has been disgraced. His son Judah has been dishonored. His daughter Dinah has been defiled. His son Simeon is in prison. And his wife Rachel is gone. On top of all of this, there's a famine in the land. He's facing the reality of starvation, where there's no food or water in the land. And yet there's more, if that wasn't enough in his life. He gets word from the second in command in Egypt. I want you to send your son Benjamin to me. And those of you that know Jacob's story, Benjamin's the little guy that took over his place in his heart for Joseph. He loves Benjamin. This little guy's precious to him. And he's thinking, how in the world does a guy in Egypt know about Benjamin? I'm not giving Ben. What, what? And you can imagine the kind of, the kind of, consternation that's in his mind. There's no way. This is it. And listen to what he says in Genesis 42, verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. And here's how he concludes it. All these things are against me. And that's how he felt. All these things are against me. He can't see any possible positive resolution in all the difficulties in his life. All these things are against me, which is also leads him to the conclusion that God is against him. God is against him. But he was wrong. His feelings were real, but they weren't telling him the truth. He was wrong. Not only were the things in his life not against him, but neither was God. And we too make the mistake when we conclude that God is not, not in all of these situations in our lives. That these things weren't against Jacob and they're not against us. These things and many more are in the hand of God being worked out for his good and for the good of his family. These things and all in your life are being worked out for the good and the good of your family, even if they're not good in and of themselves. You know, that person that's against you, God is going to work that out. That family you're not connected with, God is going to work that out. That, that situation where you're having a hard time at work, God is going to work that out and work them together for what? Good, not bad. And God is not against you today. And neither are the situations in your life as heavy as they are and as hard as they are and as difficult. Some things are going to be really sour in life, even to the taste bitter. You're going to face things in life that you cannot explain. Neither can you understand. I mean, I think of... I think in my own life, if there are some things in my life that, like if you came up and shared some of the things in your life, I, I just, my heart would break with you, as it does when we pray together. But if I shared some of the things in my life that are going on right now, they're just crazy. They just don't make any sense. They, they absolutely don't make any sense whatsoever, and yet God has allowed them. God is using them. He's teaching us. 
He's growing us. You, you would be shocked. You would be shocked by the craziness that's in my life, but it's not for public. It's for the Lord, just like your stuff. It's not for public. It's for the Lord. He knows all about it. He's got knowledge that you don't even have yet of how he's going to work this out for good. You go, oh, Ed, I don't know. Maybe yours, but not mine. No, it's not true. It's true for you. It's true for me. God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him. Until he works them out, until we've experienced the good, we need to experience the goodness of God and trust him along the way. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. As a matter of fact, there are times in life, isn't it true, that the trials in your life cause you to press in harder, not softer. It's almost like, you know what? I was just telling a brother right after service earlier. He says, no, no, the devil wants you dead, but we're going to kick the devil in the teeth, man. You're still alive. Here you are. Suicidal three times in the last nine months, but he's standing right here. We're praying. He's alive. He's alive. Why? What the devil means for evil, God is going to turn around for good. And this guy's testimony is only going to grow in incremental ways to give God the glory so that one day he's going to be sitting across the table from someone that's suicidal. And he's going to say, I know how you feel. I've been in the pit myself, but there's hope even in the pit because God is there. He's in the pit, he's in the palace, and everywhere in between. And what happened with Jacob? Well, he learned that God sent his son to Egypt ahead of him the hard way. I mean, obviously, if God's going to ask us, send your kid to Egypt, you're going to put him on a plane and to a nice hotel. That wasn't the way Joseph did. Joseph went all through all this. So what he could say at Genesis 50, 20 was what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. That's the heart of God, to save many people. God's working things out together in the right quantities, the right amounts, the right mixing, the right heat, so that he gets the glory. And with that, we've made it through our nine-part series, Help for the Troubled Heart, here on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. I'm happy to say this entire series, Help for the Troubled Heart, is available to you on a customized USB thumb drive. We're making it available to our listeners for a limited time for a donation of $25 or more. Maybe you can think of someone you'd like to give this to. Order it today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Ed, as we wrap up your series today, is there something on your heart and mind that you'd like to leave our listeners with? There is something I'd like to leave the listeners with, and it's simply this. If you are the one with a troubled heart, and you are the one that's suffering, and you are the one that's in pain, you're the one that has those body aches that never go away, that family situation that hasn't left, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, I mean, you name it, what this sin-soaked world brings pain to our lives, I want to leave you with this. Actually, it's a couple things. I want you to know that you're going to get through this. I want you to hear that again. You will get through this step by step, day by day. God is going to strengthen you and encourage you. Secondly, things do get better. Things do get better. You may not feel that now, and you wonder if things will ever get better, but things do get better. So do the next thing, as Elizabeth Elliot taught us. Just learn to do the next thing. Stay in the Word and prayer. And, and thirdly, Know that you're not alone. There's a lot of hurting people, and just like Paul wrote to us in Corinthians, that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulations so that we might be a comfort to others. 
And as we go through life limping and wounded and beat up at times, we are more than victors. We are more than conquerors. The strength of the Lord, you know, the hope of the Lord, the strength of the Lord is ours. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And so let's rise above some of the things we're going through. We're going to carry him with us. And yet there's coming a day when Jesus is returning. He's going to rapture his church. We're going to get new bodies. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Every wrong will be made right. And that's our hope. And we, we have that hope. And until he comes, we're going to do business, the Father's business, until he comes. So we love you here at Abounding Grace. We love you here at Calvary. And we so appreciate the relationship we have with you and the trust that you give us to speak the word of God into your lives. Thank you. And may the Lord bless and encourage you. And friend, could we ask a favor of you as we close out this series? We'd like to know how the Lord used it in your life. Maybe the timing couldn't be better as you're really going through it right now. Would you please share that with us? And we'd like to pray for you too. Our number again is 877-30-GRACE or email us at info at calvaryaurora.org. That's info at calvaryaurora.org. Thank you for being with us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And remember, God has the help you need for your troubled heart. Turn to Him in faith and allow Him to minister to you as only He can. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.